Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And I do want to encourage you to check out our other podcast. In particular, I'm highlighting the other active podcasts we're doing over audio. The Amazing World of Radio. This year, we're doing the summer series chosen by our Patreon supporters, which is Mr. and Mrs. Blanding's, a sitcom starring the great Cary Grant along with Betsy Drake and Bill Goodwin. You can find The Amazing World of Radio in your podcast app or by going to amazing.greatdetectives.net and there are links to all the podcasts we do over at my website at uh, greatdetectives.net. Now it is time for this week's uh, Johnny Dollar Serial. We'll be playing episodes 1 and 2 today and episodes 3 through 5 on Friday. The original air dates for today's episodes, February 20th and 21st of 1956, and here now is The Bennett Matter. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Andrew Court. Johnny, how'd you like to go to San Francisco? What's up, Andy? Well, we've written a lot of insurance for an independent contractor out there, a man named Arnold Bennett. Uh-huh. Last night, his latest project went up in smoke, an office building he completed a month ago. How much is the policy worth? There were five companies involved. They took it on at 100000 apiece and turned it over to us. Half a million bucks? Yep. I talked with the arson inspector for National Fire Underwriters in San Francisco. He said the fire looked phony. I'll pack my things. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To the Four State Fire Insurance Corporation, 4065 Spear Boulevard, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Bennett matter. Expense account item one, $15. Flowers for my girl. I wasn't able to keep our date. Instead, I met Four State Fire Investigator Andrew Cord at his office, and we made immediate arrangements to fly to California. Item two, $25.06. One raincoat. Item three, $144.15. Air transportation, Hartford, New York, San Francisco. Our roots, Andrew Cord, fill me in on the details concerning Arnold Bennett. Oh, Johnny, as things stand now, Bennett hasn't filed a claim yet, although I imagine that'll be coming through pretty fast if I know him. I met him once when he was in New York getting money to finance one of his big subdivisions. Yeah, it seems I've heard of him. Oh, he's made time and life couple of times each. Oh, yeah. When I met him, I said to myself, Andy, look well on this man. He may be the last of his kind. Oh, how's that? Well, Arnold Bennett must be past 60 now. He's been everything in his lifetime. Sailor, soldier, 
Lawyer, financier, bootlegger, gun runner, Lord knows what all. Talked fast, worked hard, and what he couldn't get one way, he got another. All in all, he's done pretty well. It shows all over him. I didn't like him, Johnny. Well, go on, go on. Well, maybe I was just jealous of his aggressiveness, or maybe it's that I've just heard stories of how he ran roughshod over big and little. Well, uh, about this new building of Bennett's that burned down. Yeah, yeah. Well, the man in San Francisco is pretty sure the fire was of incendiary origin. Well, can he prove it? Well, that'll be up to him and you and me. Four state and national fire underwriters are going to handle the investigation. Federal, Great Atlantic, and tri-state underwriters aren't going to send any men at all. They figure it's best not to clutter things up. But proving the fire was incendiary may not be too easy, Andy. Well, we'll see when we get there. There's a standoff motive in the whole thing. We can start with that. What's that? Bennett's in financial trouble. Big trouble. Taxes, so on. The fire was an out. I see. Well, who's the arson man in San Francisco? Billy Underwood. Oh, good, good. Bill Underwood's one of the best arson men in the business. Well, it's going to take all of us to get Bennett, Johnny. Now, we'll split it three ways. We'll let Underwood handle the fire evidence. You can play front for us with Bennett, and I'll... Home around in the financial situation. Yeah, well, we sure got our work cut out for us. But listen, Andy, you sound sort of scared of this guy, Bennett. I am, kind of. Why? Nobody's ever beat him. Expense account item four, seven dollars and a half. Incidentals upon arrival in San Francisco. Andy Cord and I checked in at the Fairmont, then went downstairs, rented a car, and drove out to the scene of the fire. Bill Underwood was already there, had been there all day. We all shook hands, and then Underwood broke it down. Bill was a bit of a pedant, had things pretty well organized for us. Now, it's this way. The watchman on duty saw a man loitering in the vicinity of the building when he came to work at 6 o'clock. Uh-huh. Three other witnesses remember the same man. A druggist, a filling station attendant on his way home from work, and a newsboy. Got a description? Mm-hmm. I did. Male, Caucasian, 25 to 30, medium build, approximately 170. Dark hair, dark complexion. That's it. Have you talked to the police yet? Haven't had a chance, Billy. You know they got eight men on this? Well, with that much of a description, it might make it easier. I sure hope so. So far, the description hasn't fitted anyone in the files yet. The newsboy swears that he saw this man sneak around the side of the building about six o'clock. The fire broke out about 6.30. Anybody see him leave? Mm-hmm. The newsboy says he saw him catch a bus on the corner right before the fire broke out. Might help us. But the bus driver on the line wasn't any help. He's pretty busy that time of night. Have you had a chance to go over this yet? Well, we started. I'm working with a fire inspector on it. And as soon as we come across anything, I'll let you know. We can't overlook any possibility on this, Billy. Any. Yeah. I know about Bennett. He's been out here asking me who I am, what I'm doing. He doesn't like it. Oh, he doesn't? Yeah. He learned to swear somewhere along the line. Oh, uh, has he filed claim yet? No, we haven't heard. It's a professional firing job, I'm sure of it. You're sure? Well, I, I haven't got what I need in the way of concrete evidence yet, but I'll find it. Somewhere in these ashes. The place burnt too well and too fast to be anything but professional. It was drafted. The fire got hot and going before anybody even spotted it. Well, this is a little out of my league, Billy. Tell me more, will you? Well, you see, an amateur will mess it up, generally. 
It'll smoke a lot and somebody will spot it. Now, a bug. You know, a nut. He'll do as good a job as a professional. Oh. But, but he'll stick around and, and, and watch it burn. Stand a good chance of getting caught. He might even call up somebody and tell him how happy he is. But uh, this bird, the one the newsboy saw getting out of here fast, well, he sounds like he knows his business. Mm-hmm. It's business with him. Then it'll be my job to connect him and Bennett somehow. And that's the tough part. Yeah. All I got to do is play around in the ashes. Oh, um, Johnny. Yeah? Watch a step with Bennett. Sure. He doesn't care about anybody. I spent another two hours with Cord and Underwood covering the ruins of the ten-story office building that had been gutted the day before. Underwood acquainted Cord and me with all of the necessary details, all he could. That night, we sat with the three witnesses at a special show-up in the Hall of Justice. Sixty-odd suspects were paraded out. There were no identifications. The next morning, while Cord and Underwood carried on with their part of the investigation, I went out to Arnold Bennett's real estate office near the Presidio. Remember that old saw, how a woman in love is always beautiful? When I walked in, I had no idea Elizabeth Bennett was in love and no idea that she was beautiful. Her sallow face without makeup, framed in a wisp of stringy blonde hair, wasn't flattered by the shapeless black dress and low-heeled shoes she was wearing. Certainly not the going idea of beauty. Now, did her conversation reveal anything to indicate love? Yes, sir. May I help you? Mr. Bennett, please. My name's Dollar. Dollar? D-O-L-L-A-R? He's not expecting me. Your business, Mr. Dollar. Four State Fire Insurance Corporation. It's about the fire that destroyed the office building. Oh, yes. Just a moment, please. Well, what is it, Liz? Uh, Mr. Dollar is here, Uncle Arnold. I don't want to see anybody today. I told you that, you idiot. Mr. Dollar's from Four State. It's about the fire. Oh. Well, send him in. And go out to lunch. Yes, sir. It's all right, Mr. Dollar. Straight ahead. He always like that? He's nice today. <laughs> Thanks, Elizabeth. Hmm? That's your name, isn't it? Yes. I'm Elizabeth Bennett. Go straight ahead. Dollar? That's right. Mr. Bennett? Come in, come in. I'm not going to ask you to sit down. I know why you're here. You have insurance investigator written all over your face. Well, in that case, we can get right down to the business at hand. What caused the fire? We don't know yet. It was deliberate. What? Somebody started that fire, that's what. And I know who. Get him and you'll save yourself some work. Tony Midas. Tony Midas? Who's that? The crackpot that set fire to my building. He's out of prison now and he swore he'd get me. Well, now look, maybe you'd better tell me just who he is and why he'd want to get you. Tony Midas worked for me once. I caught him stealing money and I prosecuted him. He was sent to prison for five years. And he's the one you want. You seem pretty certain of that. Of course I'm certain of it. I know what enemies I have, what friends... Don't tell me I'm going to have to pussy put around with someone like you and get any place in this whole affair. Well, there are some witnesses who got a look at the man who started the fire, or at least it's a good bet he's the one we're after. So tell me, what does this Tony Midas look like? I don't remember. I hardly ever remember faces. But you remembered his threat. You bet your last nickel I remember his threat. And he's the kind of screwy punk to carry it out. Last week there was a small story in the newspaper that he was being released from prison. Well, then we'll certainly look him up and have a talk with him. That's very good of you, I'm sure. Oh, now, look, this can be a very difficult thing all the way around, or we can all cooperate, Mr. Bennett. I'll cooperate. I know why you're in town. I know who you came with. 
I met that glorified fire inspector yesterday. Underwood, you people don't fool me, and I'm not trying to fool you. Get Tony Midas, and you've got your man. Did you tell the police about Midas? No, I was waiting for some bird like you to walk in here with your high-handed attitude. Now I've told you, now you can get out and get busy looking for him. Arnold Bennett lived up to all of his advance notices, and then some. I'm paid very well to stand and take what I have to to find out what I want to find out. Sometimes it's not enough money. A review of the trial and proceedings in which Tony Midas had been convicted of grand theft, his threats at the time of his trial substantiated Bennett's information. That didn't surprise me. What did surprise me was that one of the three witnesses identified Tony Midas's mug picture as the man seen in the vicinity of the building the night of the fire. An APB went out for Midas. The San Francisco police began to turn the town upside down looking for him. By five o'clock in the afternoon, the other two witnesses had made up their minds that he was the man they had seen after all. The case against Midas became stronger. It was imperative that he be located. Johnny Dollar. This is Elizabeth Bennett, Mr. Dollar. Remember in my uncle's office? I remember. Mr. Dollar, you're looking for Tony Midas, aren't you? You don't have to answer. I know you are. I think I can help you find him, but he's not the one you're looking for. Look, if you turn him in... Let me finish, and then we'll talk about him. I live at 1038 Mirada Drive. I'll be home in an hour. We can talk there. Two minutes later, when I was putting on my coat, I received another phone call. This one from Bennett's lawyer. He advised me that Arnold Bennett had filed claim and would bring suit if his claim was not honored in the prescribed length of time. I thanked him for the information and went downstairs and began to look around for a cab. A police car careened into the driveway and a familiar hat on top of a familiar head leaned out. Hey, Johnny! Go! Yeah, Andy Cord. Hustle left, kiddo. Hop in. Okay. Inspector Truck and Inspector Kane. Hi. What's up? Somebody shot Arnold Bennett ten minutes ago. Johnny Dollar. Billy Underwood, Johnny. They're trying to get you all over town. The hotel said to call you at this Skyline number. I'm out at Arnold Bennett's house. He's been shot. What? That's right. Well, who shot him? Don't know yet. They're giving him a transfusion here before they take him to the hospital. Uh-huh. Look, Johnny, I got something to show you. Yeah, what? Some ashes we just analyzed. The Bennett building was fired by a pro. He used celluloid and a wick made out of paraffin. I can prove it. I hope Bennett lives to hear that. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Four State Fire Insurance Corporation, 4065 Spear Boulevard, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Bennett arson fraud. Arnold Bennett was removed to the hospital where he was given a 50-50 chance of recovering from a 38 slug that had entered his chest. There was no weapon lying about and no witnesses in the remote, hilly section of San Francisco where he lived to give any information concerning the attempted murder. The police were more anxious than ever to find Tony Midas, the man Bennett had put the finger on earlier. Their reasoning was that if he could burn down a building worth half a million to get back at Arnold Bennett, he also might shoot him. 
I told Andy Cord about Underwood's findings when the police car got us to the scene of the shooting. Celluloid and paraffin wick, did you say? Yeah, that's what Bill Underwood said on the phone. Well, then it would point away from Tony Midas. He was an embezzler, not an arsonist. Maybe. Who's that policeman over there? Oh, that's uh, Inspector Dickens. Well, I talked to him about it for a while. He said Midas lived in San Quentin with a man named Hanley, a professional burner. Yeah? Well, Hanley could have taught Midas a few tricks of the trade. Yeah, it's possible, Jimmy. Uh, I don't know. At least Underwood is sure that he can prove it had an incendiary origin. Well, that's the first hurdle. Maybe we can't tie it to Bennett at that, Johnny, if Midas did it. Now, let's wait and see what Bennett has to say when he can talk. I think I'll get on over to the hospital. Okay. Oh, uh, here's something that came up. Yeah? Now, you said Bennett attributed everything to this Tony Midas. Mm -hmm. Well, there might have been something personal in it, too. Midas is married to Bennett's niece, Elizabeth. He's what? Yeah, she married him a month before he was convicted. Well, that might explain some things. Yeah, she called me tonight and said she had some information for me about Midas. I was on my way to see her when this happened. Oh, you you haven't talked to her yet, huh? No, no, let's see. It is 1038 Marotta Drive. Wonder if that's far from here. <laughs> no, Johnny, not far at all. This happens to be 1038. Right here. Oh, well, we better tell the police about her, Andy. Andy Cord went on over to the hospital to await results on Arnold Bennett. I spoke to the inspector in charge and told him the information about Elizabeth Bennett. The police added the name to the APB already out for Tony Midas. And that's the way the case stood at midnight. By morning, the hospital reported that Arnold Bennett would recover from the gunshot wound. Elizabeth Bennett had not been located, nor had her husband, Tony Midas. I always fix my own dinner. Poached egg and half and half ulcers. Name's Dollar? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Insurance investigator. You want something, do you? Coffee, maybe? No, thanks, Mr. Engel. Mind if I finish? Go right ahead. Well, what led you to me? The notation's about the trial, Mr. Engel. You were the defense attorney for Tony Midas. We're anxious to talk to him. I defended him, yes. I don't think I'm going to be much help, Dollar. I haven't seen him since he got out. I've no idea where he is. We'll find him, Mr. Engel. What's it all about? Well, Tony Midas has been identified as the man who started a fire in the Bennett building. Or at least who was seen in the vicinity of the building when it went up. I'm sorry to hear that. Are you, Mr. Engel? Tony Midas was a nice kid who got in a little trouble. Everything was against him at the trial. Bennett poured it on. He didn't have to, but he did. He could have let him off. You were Midas's lawyer... Did you try to talk Bennett into letting Midas off? No, I didn't. Nobody talks Arnold Bennett into anything. Oh? Tony never would admit taking the funds. He said he was framed, but he didn't have a prayer with all the evidence against him. Yeah, I read a transcript of the trial. Then you know Tony Midas pleaded not guilty in the face of everything, and he went up. I wanted him to make a guilty plea and rest on the mercy of the court. It was his first offense. Well, he's out now. And it looks like he's trying to get even with Bennett for prosecuting him. All for a lousy ten grand. Yeah. Did he ever get in touch with you? I told you, no. No phone call? No. Do you have any idea where he'd be in town, Mr. Engel? No, I don't. Okay. Then I guess I'll leave you to your eggs. Uh, Dollar. Yeah? If, uh... You find Tony Midas. I'd like to know about it. Why, Mr. Engel? Oh, just curious. I'd like to see him. I'd like to see what five years in prison does to a kid like that. 
Mr. Engel, Arnold Bennett was shot in his home last night. No. That's all you have to say? What else is there to say? <laughs> well, you could have asked, is he alive or is he dead, for one thing? Suppose I don't care. <sighs> okay, he's still alive. They think he'll pull through. Who do you think shot him, Mr. Engel? I don't know. They're looking for Tony Midas for that, too. Oh? Did you know Bennett's niece? Elizabeth, yes, I met her. Well, they're looking for her, too. She's married to Tony Midas. Yes, yes, I knew. I knew about that. Sit down, Mr. Engel. What is this going to be, an inquisition? That egg and that half and half doesn't interest you, no matter how much you look at it. Well, you ought to leave me alone and go find your firebug. Come on, let's have the story. I don't know any story to tell you. Was it spite that sent Tony Midas to prison because of him and Elizabeth Bennett? No, no, they proved him a thief. I'll throw one more thing at you, Engel. Bennett wasn't always too good about paying his taxes. Now, look here, Our accounting man has him pegged, pegged him for exactly what he is, an opportunist, a dodger... A man out to get what he can for as little as he can, no matter what. Yeah, we cover everything in a case like this. You'll never get Arnold Bennett. He's too good for you, Dollar. Too good for your insurance company, your fire investigators, everybody. No man stronger ever lived. We've already got evidence that proves the building was fired. I'm here to get all the story, and I think you're the man who can tell it. Why me? Because you work for him. I never worked for him, never. <sighs> all right, we'll let that go for now. But you can tell me this. Was Tony Midas the kind of man who'd start that fire? You can tell me if he really was an embezzler. You can tell me if he tried to kill Arnold Bennett. I can't tell you anything for a fact, Dollar. All I have is my own personal opinion. Well, that's what I want. I want that. I'd like your opinion. Now, there's something about Bennett's niece being married to Midas, isn't there? A wife can't testify against her husband. Everyone else in Bennett's office testified against Midas. She didn't. I see. Now the opinion. Oh, come on, Engel, come on. You're right, Dollar, I have got ideas. All of them make me sick inside. Tony Midas stood there and told me he was innocent. He said it a million times if he said it once. He said he thought Bennett was framing him. To cover up from, for income tax shortages? It's just surmise, but it fits. Midas was a green kid hired into the company by Bennett. He might have been hired to be framed on a phony embezzling charge that'd give Bennett a good excuse on his taxes for a while. I've... I've been fooled a lot of times. Did Tony Midas fool you? I don't know. I wish I could have gotten him off. I tried, Dollar. Believe me, I tried to get him off. You come here to me and say he's out of prison now and getting even. He's burnt down a building and tried to murder Arnold Bennett. Tony was a nice boy, Dollar. But now his whole life's gone, and for what? I hope you don't find him or her. I hope they go far away and stay away and don't have to talk to anybody ever. They deserve that. I hope nobody ever finds him. But we did find Tony Midas. He was right under our noses all the time. When I got back to the hotel, there was a message for me to get down to the county hospital. Cord was waiting for me there. They took us downstairs, and then we were both standing in a room looking at Tony Midas before they took him across the hall to the morgue. It's a funny thing, Johnny. There's been an alarm out on this guy for 36 hours. Everybody's been looking everywhere for him, and he turns up right here. Only he's dead. Yeah. What killed him? TB. He had it awful bad, I'm saying, Quentin. It's in the sick ward his last two years. When his time was up last week, he made them release him. But he wound up here and died in this hospital. It's rough. Just a kid. Yeah. 
Up until that time, there had been some kind of a case against Tony Midas. But obviously, since he had been dead almost two days, it was impossible to connect him with the attempt on Arnold Bennett's life and the firing of the building. So we were right back where we started from, trying to make a case against Arnold Bennett, who still lay in his hospital room and refused to talk to anybody who came near him. All right, Johnny, now what? Uh, Bennett's going to be hard. We'll have to work around him. His niece is the best opening I can think of. Where is she? Police haven't located her yet. No, huh? Not a trace. Andy, she had some information for me when she called last night. I still want to get Hi, it. If I... oh, oh, hello, Bill. We got a break. George Foley's in town. Who's that? Best celluloid and wick man in the country. If you happen to want a building burnt down. One of the policemen at the hospital spotted him in the lobby trying to see Arnold Bennett. Not entire, Johnny. Where is he now? They followed him to an address on Barengo Street. They aren't going to move in until we decide something. Twelve minutes later, Andy Cord, Bill Underwood, and I were standing in front of a decrepit-looking boarding house on Barengo Street talking to the three policemen from the San Francisco Police Department. Dollar? Underwood? Hi. Hey, uh, what's the story, officer? Well, the way we see it, Foley's still trying to get part of his money for burning the building. He took a chance coming to the hospital tonight to see Bennett. No kidding. He'll probably make another try. You boys have more at stake here than anybody. If you want to talk to him, try to make a deal with him to turn on Bennett. Now's the time. Now, what do you say, Johnny? Now, wait a minute. We aren't sure of anything about him. Well, he fills the bill, Johnny. Paraffin and wick jobs are few and far between. With nothing more than that, I'd stake my rep on Foley being our boy. For what it's worth, all three witnesses now pick his picture instead of Midas. Oh, well, a good defense attorney get that thrown right out. What do you want to do? Oh, well, let's shake him up a bit, okay? Go ahead. We'll be covering the back and front. Come on. Watch out, Andy! All right, all right. That's enough. That's enough. You okay, Bill? Andy? Okay. Yeah. All right, tough boy. Get on your feet and let's get out of here. Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, we have an arsonist right in the palm of our hands with very surprising results. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood, written by John Dawson. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Roy Rowan speaking.
Welcome back, and as we said, we will play episodes 3 through 5 on Friday. It's always an interesting dynamic when Johnny finds himself working as part of a team. And in a case as complex as this, I think there's some good realism that allows the story to move along nicely. I did find it a little bit silly that the police decided to wait for the insurance investigators to show up. That's a bit of an irregular procedure, and I think most real-life insurance investigators would be like, tell you what, you bring him in for questioning and we'll talk with him later rather than having to break in the room and risk getting shot. Now we turn to listener comments and feedback. And uh, we received a message from a listener on Facebook regarding the froward uh, fisherman matter. Susan is actually related to Lorene Tuttle by marriage. And she liked that the story... Uh, intersected with Angola, Indiana, and she says it's a really nice little town in the northeast corner of Indiana, very near Lorene's, and my husband's grandfather and great-uncle Claire Tuttle's uh, birthplace of Lake Pleasant, Indiana. On that point, it is always great when old-time radio, particularly Johnny Dollar, uses real-life locations. I got a real treat when... During the Bob Reddick era, we got the Yak Mystery uh, Matter, which was set up in northwest Montana, and I absolutely went to town on that episode. Uh, She did have a question. I replayed two times more. It sounded a bit muffled and couldn't discern uh, forward or froward or figure out context, plus... Uh, My able Google dictionary was no help. Can you clarify, please? I would agree that the sound on that was not nearly as good as most of the other circulating Johnny Dollar episodes, certainly the serial programs that we've been playing. And listening to the recording, it was hard to tell whether it was froward or forward, but uh, John Abbott has seen the script, and it it was indeed froward. Now, a modern definition of froward is difficult to deal with or contrary, but I don't think that's the full context of what the lawyer meant when he called the escaped husband, Froward. So, the thing to understand about America in 1958 is that it was not only a more religious country, Americans were far more biblically aware. So, you would see more subtle use of biblical language and biblical allusions that might go over the head of many modern listeners. And the Bible that most Americans at that point were familiar with and using was the King James Version of the Bible, which was translated in 1611. And that's likely where the lawyer picked up the word. And in that older meaning, it meant perverse. That is, turning from with aversion or reluctance, not willing to yield or comply with what is required, unyielding, ungovernable, refractory, disobedient, peevish as a froward child. 
that from the 1828 Webster's Dictionary. And I think that you can understand from either perspective why the lawyer said what he did. Then we turn to Twitter where Rockefeller says, Great episode. I've unfortunately heard this one. You're great and I devote more time than is normal on your pod. But what is normal? Well, thank you so much. Uh, uh, appreciate the comment. Now, I will say, I did say that that was newly circulated. And you, when I'm referring to that, uh, I'm generally saying it is newly circulated since the last time we played a series when we are revisiting something or when we're playing an episode that we didn't have access to before. Now, it may have been a case that it was circulating in some quarters for many years, but I didn't have it when we played it, and we're introducing it to the podcast as newly circulated. I will say the Froward Fisherman matter is not nearly as common as all of the other Johnny Dollar episodes with Bob Bailey. I think I found one other place that uh, was featuring a copy of it. I personally learned of it a little less than four years ago uh, with the case of the Froward Fisherman Manor and the Fire in Paradise Manor and was really eager to bring it to you and try and figure out the best time to do that. As to the question of what's normal, that is a good question and I don't have an answer. I have had some people who have emailed me as they've worked through the entire back uh, catalog and taken, you know, two or three years to go through all, you know, 12 seasons or something, whatever at the time that they were uh, going through it. And I've had others who might listen to six or seven episodes a month. And that makes some questions hard to answer. Someone asked me recently how many listeners I have or how many subscribers I have, and I honestly couldn't tell them. I know that individual podcast episodes get around 13,000 listens within the first 30 days of release. However, people are listening to older episodes all the time. The Sarah Martin matter, which we put out in February, had 700 listens in the past 30 days. And so I can't say that there is a normal or an average amount. We have uh, somewhere between 900,000 to a million plus downloads every month, but no idea how many individual listeners are in the mix. Then, uh, a comment on the Ricardo Amerigo matter. Saysoff writes, you know, Adam, I think it would be interesting if you were to try to make some profound commentary on Philo Vance. Well, I don't know. I think that would be tough. Uh, like, talking about how the guy who... Uh, tolerates no mistakes, uh, essentially illustrates the dangers of perfectionism or how the penny ante murder case illustrates what a society is like when everyone is cheating and no one can trust each other. I don't really think Philo Vance lends itself to any super deep analysis. And that can be true of a lot of these stories. They're just mystery stories and, or 
adventure stories, and there's not a whole lot deeper than that. But I think a lot of other stories are aiming for a little bit more, or maybe it's coming out of the fact that they're trying to write more realistic stories or stories that are based on true stories, and so it speaks a bit more to the actual world. Now, I do think that there could be an opportunity for someone who is far more talented at comedic satire to do pretentious, serious commentary about things that are really quite ridiculous and silly. But I don't think that's really in my skill set. But thanks so much for the suggestion, Saceoff, and now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Charlie. Charlie has been one of our Patreon supporters since October 2019, currently supporting the show at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Charlie. And that will actually do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to follow us using your favorite podcast software. And if you're listening on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, or mark the notification bell. All those great things that help YouTube channels to grow. And you can also leave a comment. Episodes 3 through 5 of the Bennett Matter will be on Friday. But join us back here tomorrow for Dangerous Assignment, where... Five minutes later, the general comes down and goes over to one of the house phones. I follow him. He picks up the receiver, but holds the hook down with his finger. I do likewise to the phone next to him. Keep your back turned to me, Mitchell. Okay. You got file 72, General? Yes. Is the seal still unbroken? Yes. Okay, what's on your mind? You and your country are businessmen, Mitchell. I'm certain you will approve of my little plan. That all depends on what your little plan is, General. Let us say that your country is not in sympathy with the form of government which now exists in my country across the border from here. Well, I guess you can safely say that, all right. So what? So perhaps the form of government in my country could be changed. Yeah? Who's going to change it? I am. You? Let's have that again. My plans have been completed for weeks. I have key men in certain spots, and I will have a major part of the armor behind me. You know, a thing like your planning could get pretty bloody. The end justifies the means. Oh? Just what kind of government are you planning to install in your country? I and my followers are tired of these bungling, mediocre bureaucrats who have been running our country. What we need is a strong leader, one who will rule with an iron hand. I am that leader. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems to me I've heard this tune before a few times. You think your brand of government would give your citizens any more liberty than what they've got now? I am not here to discuss philosophies of government with you, but to make to you a business proposition. The return of File 72 in return for our support, huh? Precisely. Look, General, you ought to know my government better than that. You ought to know they don't go in for supporting... Mitchell, may I remind you once more that this is a business transaction... There is little room in the world today for ethics. One must be practical. Rest assured, whether I give you your file 72 or not depends on your answer to my proposition. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.